Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Rural and remote emergency aeromedical retrievals are often associated with physical accidents and incidents. But how many call-outs are in relation to mental health? To find out, the Royal Flying Doctor Service conducted an Australia-wide study on the types of mental and behavioural disorders experienced by people that receive a retrieval by the Royal Flying Doctor Service. The leading reasons were found to be schizophrenia, bipolar affective disorder and depression. As the lead author on research projects including emergency and military medicine, rural and remote healthcare and pathology, Dr. Fergus Gardner has accumulated a wealth of knowledge in clinical practice. Fergus served in the Australian Defence Force before employment in large teaching hospitals in the Department of Health. Fergus is a visiting academic at the Australian National University where he conducts epidemiology and clinical research and is also Manager of Research and Policy at the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Tune in as Fergus describes the study conducted and why people suffering poor mental health in rural and remote areas are more prone to seeking help only once they've hit the point of crisis. All right, welcome to today's podcast. And with me, I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Fergus Gardner. Fergus, welcome. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, It's a pleasure. Uh, I'm really looking forward to highlighting the importance and the role uh, that Rural Flying Doctor Service is playing in rural, rural and remote areas. Uh, and uh, and the importance and the link with mental health, of course. But I guess yeah. to start with, if we want to start, uh, just give us a bit about your background. How how did you get mm. into the position you are right now mm. as the director of research and policy with Royal Flying Doctors? Yes, I I mean I came at it at a uh, non unique or a new unique way. I originally was in the the army as a, a combat medic and infantryman. I was a paratrooper for about six years. <laughs> So very wow. different. Based out of? Based out of all, all over, Sam. Yeah. So mainly Sydney, but um, we were doing retrievals, retrievals, uh, deployments in Pacific, uh, Middle East, and then training throughout Australia. So I spent a time in Adelaide, in Perth, um, doing, yeah, military type stuff. So, <laughs> um, and then I, I took some time off and uh, left uh defense um, and retrained in in medicine and all the way up to my my PhD um, and was working. Who was hmm. the PhD with? Uh, I was with uh, Charles Sturt Uni. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, but I'm a senior research fellow at the Australian National University in Canberra, so. Spreading yourself around? Yeah, well, I mean, our RFDS um, headquarters is located in Canberra, so I guess the connection made sense. Um, and I, I take a lot of 
students from the ANU Medical School and the School of Population Health. So, um, is that where you're based synergy. now? Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, um, the Royal Flying Doctor Service, uh, we're a federated organisation with um, <clears throat> sections and operations spread out throughout Australia. So, we have uh, Western Ops and Central uh, Central Ops uh, in South Australia and NT and Queensland and New South Wales. So uh, the headquarters in Canberra is essentially a uh, pivot point to government. So, yeah. um, and I report directly to the, the CEO there. So, yeah, but I mean, answering you back to your question, um, how do I come into this? Um, so I got um, employment after discharging from the army, employment in uh, teaching hospitals in Canberra, um, and then uh, employment at the Department of Health in Canberra in pathology research. And then I was lucky enough to have this position come up in public health about two years ago. So I've been doing public health research ever since. And how have you found that transition into research? Um, from, <clears throat> from the army? I mean, it was uh, it was hard. It was. <laughs> the army's, um, uh, I guess, it's a certain way of doing things and a way of living um, that every sort of soldier's got to get used to. <laughs> transitioning back into civilian life and it's such a big thing isn't it that transition yeah yeah and i mean it touches onto so many things um i mean mental health um it's a real issue in the military and uh, ptsd and the stigma around seeking seeking help um and i mean that's probably where my first experience of mental health really came from i I mean, I lo I've lost a, a friend to suicide in, in the military, mm. um, so I've experienced it on that side. Um, and even in medicine as well, um, sort of the burnout and the burdens placed on some of our JMOs up into our senior offices as well um, isn't widely spoken about all. Um, there's research coming out now, which is great, but I think it's an area that um, we really need to address and acknowledge more so yeah yeah, so, yeah and, and mm, mate, that's mm. uh and we have touched on that previously uh even specifically with our frontline mental health comments the other week we we had uh we just found that there was that struggle to transition mm. from being uh either terminated or, or discharged from the army and back into civilian life mm. and you lose the structure. Uh, there's the challenge of the identity as well mm -hmm. around, you know, not being in the uniform anymore and yeah. and losing that camaraderie and yep. the support network. Um, it's a real, it's a real shock for some. And for me, it probably I didn't really realise it until a couple of years out of the armed services. Yeah. Sort of that that cognitive um, dissonance sort of going on. Yeah, and the transition issues I had and the identity trying to find myself again. But um, mm. I mean, the military, I was very lucky. They supported me in um, uh, my university degree and subsequent training. So yep. I was very lucky, but um, yeah, transition's very hard yeah. <laughs> and hard on the family as well. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, so you got a young family or? I've got uh, a daughter, Elsie, and a son, uh, James. Elsie's four and James is two. And we've got one on the way uh, due late November. So good on you, <laughs> I thought mate. I was busy before, good, Sam, but good here on we you. are. So, yeah, and my, my wife's a, a physio in Canberra in the emergency department. So, oh, wow. 
Yeah, some good synergies there. Yeah, isn't <laughs> yeah. there what? Yeah. Well, well, congratulations. And, oh, thank uh, you. And made all the best for the for number three. I feel tired already. <laughs> yeah, suddenly. <laughs> the yes. Late night. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, made it exciting. Um, so, so then, if we if we look at uh, the the rural uh, flying doctor service, mm. what what drove you to want to be a part of that organisation? I mean, it's such a well-known service. I mean, I grew up watching the original uh, Flying Doctors TV series. It's yeah. ingrained in, I mean, I come from a, well, back then at least, it was a rural and remote um, farming community and grew up on a farm and sort of saw firsthand the issues with not having access to medical care and Whereabouts the retrievals, um, northern New South Wales, northwest New South Wales. Um, what, west of Moree? Yeah, 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 Moree, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it just, it just re really resonated with me. And, and the role they were looking at, they wanted to, I guess, communicate more about what they're doing in a research and academic sense. So communicate the types of conditions that we're aeromedically retrieving for to then feed into advocacy, into government, and ultimately to drive funding to address those issues and get more boots on the ground. And that just really appealed to me. I'm very results driven, maybe from the army, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I like to stay busy. I like to be in a, a academic and a research area that translates into action. Like mm. every Everything we do in or every dollar we spend needs to go, needs to be a benefit to the patient in the long run. So, and it's the same with our research and that really appealed to me. Um, yeah. How uh, much is it of mm. you doing the research versus okay. trying to interpret and apply meaning to the data? Is your role specifically overseeing it? Is it, what, what is? Yeah, so um, we've worked hard the last couple of years in, I guess, systemizing our data um, collection and then communication to us in Canberra. So it's all in a similar format, which we've worked hard to do. And it gets pretty well fed to us in real time. So in air, in our aeromedical retrieval. So my job and uh, my colleague, uh, Professor Lara Bishop, we what you say, Sam, interpret the data, see what's going on out there, and then uh, communicating that. So, and uh, making good, recommendations mm, of changes. As yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a good example in the mental health space is that um, acadotal, uh, well, yeah, acadotally over the last 10 years, we had been seeing our medical retrievals so mental health increase significantly. So, um, and we had the data at our fingertips to do that. So a recent publication in the Medical Journal of Australia found that in three years, we had 2,257 2, patients retrieved for a mental health diagnosis. Um, with um, leading with schizophrenia, depression, anxiety. Yes. Um, with substance use disorders sort of thrown in amongst that. So knowing that information for the first time from a remote and very remote community has allowed us to pinpoint geographical areas that would benefit from having prevention, um, having additional psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, whether that's via telehealth or a traditional 
clinics type scenario. Yeah, it's really pinpointed some communities. Which is really critical. And I'm glad, obviously, we're all glad that you've, you've been able to make those correlations and, and identify those things. I specifically hear you say, on average, the Rural Fire Flying Dog Service conducts 16 aeromedical retrievals each week for mental and behavioral disorders, such as schizophrenia, depression, substance use disorders. Mm. Mm. That's, I mean, that's significant. And yeah, it's massive. It's massive. And is that yeah. trend going up? It is, yeah. So from when we started really measuring the data, um, it started at around 300 um, acute aeromedical retrievals. So per year? Per per that year, which is 2014-15. Okay. Less than one a day. Yeah, and then it's increased to, um, it was about... It's almost doubled. Yeah, well, yeah. It's tripled this this year. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Our aeromedical retrievals are only increasing for mental health, and we we feel that's. <clears throat> I'm speaking very generally here in a in an Australian sense that it's because these patients don't have access to preventative services. They have to travel hundreds of k's to see a psychologist, and if you're depressed or anxious or. <laughs> You're, mm. you're unlikely to travel that far. And then yeah. it's reaching crisis point. <clears throat> and then we're called an aeromedical retrieval. So it's not really that um, prevalence of mental health is more in our areas. It's just the acuity or the severity. And even the suicide <clears throat> completion rates are much higher. So people with access to firearms, motor vehicles, farming communities, Mm. are completing suicide a lot more that we which could have been prevented with adequate support <laughs> so yeah and it's only increasing you know yes so the, some of the challenges you've identified um with people living in rural and remote australia obviously poor access to primary and acute care which is mm. which is obvious but really important limited number of mental health services um and and obviously number of mental health professionals, reluctance to seek, seek help, mm, concerns yeah. about stigma, distance and cost, and the cultural barriers as well. Yeah, so having yeah, culturally appropriate services is very important and community-led services. There's certainly no point in us implementing a service. So we'll identify a population or a community that in a data sense may look like they would benefit from having a psychiatrist or a social worker, but will actually engage with that community to make sure that's a service they actually need and want <laughs> yeah. and how and and how it would work for them and tailor our services that way. So yeah, culturally appropriate is very important and minimizing the stigma around especially youth um, visiting a mental health clinician in the bush, I think is an area we all need to collectively put our minds towards. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do we reduce that? Yeah. But yeah. yeah, and uh, I mean, stigma is a big one. Mm. Um, uh, distance, you're right, they're so remote, uh, <laughs> the cost of getting there. Mm. Mm. I mean, you guys have identified this from your point of view and said, well, obviously, for the person's sake, you don't, you want mm. a healthy community. So you yeah. want people yeah. to be healthy. So there's we no don't want to be doing aeromedical retrievals. So, so <laughs> if we can avoid. And in yeah. order to reduce the need for what you're doing, yeah. uh, you're saying, that uh, you guys have expanded your mental health and social environmental, uh, sorry, emotional well-being mm, services. Mm. 
Tell us a bit about that and the, and the national program that you've rolled out. Yeah, so, I mean, since identifying these trends, we've been very fortunate in receiving additional funding uh, to provide um, social worker clinics. Um, so we've got a really um, successful uh, social worker program in uh, South East Queensland. It's just one, um, which uh, the clinics are slightly different, but there's a drought and wellbeing clinic. There's a general mental health clinic. Um, so, and at least looking at the data, just because I'm thinking about it, those areas appear that we need to look into this a bit more to confirm appear to be having reduced error medical retrieval. So at least eyeballing, <laughs> there appears to be um, benefits. Yeah. In, and I mean, we're also uh, telehealth, uh, mental health services as well. It's not, um, we can't necessarily provide a psychiatrist in every remote and very remote community. It's just not yeah. doable just because of, in Australia is a very, very big country, 7.69 million square kilometres we've got to cover. So the geography. So having a telehealth service means we can reach more people with one clinician. Yes. So, um, and that's that's very and successful. And the scale yeah. is obviously mm. it's a lot more scalable that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ideally providing a one-on-one -on -one, um, traditional service, I guess, is preferable, but um, next best telehealth and those sorts of things. <clears throat> when you look at, uh, I guess, I mean, you guys aren't just, uh, rural flying doctor service is much more than just flying in there and, and assisting yeah. people in acute situations, mm. right? Mm. You, uh, like you said, you mentioned you've got other programs and initiatives going on to help mm. prevent uh, yeah. and yep. create that awareness and education. Mm. Has that been something that's only recently happened or has it uh, always been? Well, I mean, we're best known for our aeromedical retrievals, flying yeah. doctors and the TV show. Well, that's, that's yeah, time, yeah, right? and that's what we're best known for. And but I mean, that's probably really only an arm or half of our service now. Our other half is primary healthcare. So we provide fly in, fly out GP clinics and nursing clinics to communities that have no other um, medical support. Um, and that's how, so one of our mandates is we provide services pretty well where there are none other in remote and very remote areas. So, and I mean, these GP clinics um, can be uh, fly in, fly out often. Um, they might stay for a day or a couple of days or whatever, depending on the community's needs. And so the scheduling is um, community led, I suppose, as well. Um, but I mean, we, uh, just off the top of my head, um, I think last year we saw over uh, 350,000 patient episodes just in primary healthcare alone. Wow. And then with our aeromedical um, retrieval service, last year we did about 40,000 aeromedical retrievals. So, so it's probably more towards our preventative primary healthcare service, but, um, I mean, we also provide road transports as well. <laughs> um, last yeah. year, we did about 75,000 inter-hospital transfers via road. Um, so for those low, low acuity patients, um, we're providing uh, dental clinics as well. So a good example is in uh, King Island down in uh, Tasmania, have really had no access to regular dentists. They did have a, a locum 
uh, down there or a couple of locums down there intermittently for a bit, but recognising that community need and gap, we've since started providing a dentist to that community. And I mean, at this stage, we're very much dealing with um, prevented uh, some more of acute cases before we move into more of the preventative maintenance dental work. But I mean, yeah, it, it's a great result in a non-traditional service, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so and, much more than aeromedical. Yeah, yeah. No, it seems that way. And it's, yeah. uh, and it's really interesting, all the work that's going on there. The, um, the prevalence of mental disorders is the same across all remoteness areas, but mental health acuity and suicide rates are, are higher and remote mm. um, and, and very remote in Australia. Mm. So, so obviously, what portion of a lot of your services are to the very remote areas is it enough extremely remote is it do you finding that that's where your the the services are in greater need and you'll be able to make a bigger impact in those um, extreme remote locations or is it it's pretty well evenly spread okay. amongst remote and very remote areas um yeah yep yeah. and so and so with what you're trying to do then with uh providing equity of access uh, mm. How do you take into that consideration the culturally appropriate side of things? Like, what what are you doing differently for that? Yeah, so I mean, anywhere from about speaking on the aeromedical side of things, um, anywhere from about twenty five percent to about forty five percent of our retrievals are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Um, so we try and engage with uh, Aboriginal medical services. Um, we we um, engage with community leaders as well. Um, tr essentially, we're trying to provide um, a culturally appropriate service um, that's community-led on, on the ground. So, yeah, yeah. So you've been mm. uh, engaging, obviously, in uh, Indigenous leaders and mm, mm. and understanding from their point of view what they're up to and, and what's going to work. Yeah, what they need and what, and what yeah, and really following their recommendations i mean it's their community so and we're just there to to help where we can so um and i mean every section of operation is slightly different within uh, the rfds some have different approaches but i mean the take-home yeah. message is um we, we we engage with communities as much as possible and and even other uh, other services are, that are there we we don't try and replicate or replace any services so we may if another service needs additional clinical support, we might provide them with a nurse or a doctor. Um, but yeah, we just try and be as collegiate as possible and um, community-led as possible. Mm. Mm. Are you, do you find that each it's very tailored, each area is different, and what works in one or what one needs yeah, is different yeah. to another? Yeah, so I mean, that might be frequency of uh, visiting different communities um, some communities have different population mixes old yeah. young um, I know one community where a patient's receiving a cancer patient so you've got to adapt your clinic for that wow. you've got another one that's uh, pregnant so more ONG type services there and um, pregnancy planning so it's very much about the, I guess the comorbidities of the population and the population mix that really feeds the in feeds into your clinical offering and support. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And and how do you, how does the what sort of training and ongoing what sort of uh, training is the Royal Flying Doctor Service doing mm. internally, or do you, are you also doing mm. uh, supporting? training other people in rural and remote areas so you're seeing trainers out there as well facilitating that um i can't really speak to that point sam i I guess it's different again with sections and operations but um i mean we provide regular training in services and clinical upskilling also um rural generalist pathways as well um with acrum uh and upskilling our patients, our patients, our clinicians in other, I guess, clinical skills such as mental health and counselling. All of that is is provided, um, and the, and also, I mean, the different cognitive therapies as well. And um, yeah, but it, yep. it it differs from section and, and operation. So okay, um, yeah. And if we look at the obviously you're very passionate about what you're doing and very very driven to tell me a little bit about how it's what it means to you to be part of such a great organization i'm just so so proud i I love the flying doctors and i I mean i want to stay with the flying doctors as long as possible and contribute as much as possible we're getting fantastic work like the ability to come to conferences to speak to people like you sam and communicating our message what we're seeing and communicating that more generally via through academic publications conference presentations podcasts really gets the message out there more so we can advocate more to government and policy to get more support for these patients and communities and clinicians Yeah, so I'm just so, I mean, everything we do translates into outcomes, which I love, so I'm proud to be part of. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, obviously with the the work that's being done and, and, uh, I mean, the stats and the number of people that are being saved and Mm. and attended to is is really remarkable. Uh, And just just shows how important such a service is to the rural and remote community. Tell me, how do you see rural and remote mental health and do you see it something that's progressing? Do you feel like we're on the on the pathway to getting getting better, more awareness? Uh, and this is a trick question because yep. obviously, <laughs> with the more people that report or that seek help, that not necessarily mean it's a bad thing because there's yeah. more awareness and, yeah, that's and less right. stigma around it. But yeah, where, yeah. Where do you feel it's at? I mean, speaking from our patch um, and from what I. And seeing, uh, I mean, we're seeing our mental health conditions increase, and it's it's related. I mean, substance use disorders is a real problem in a lot of the areas where we're treating. So that drug and alcohol awareness and drug and alcohol um, clinical support is very important. Um, but I mean, we're we're getting good traction in implementing and and i mean the federal government and state governments have been very generous and that's off the back of what we're reporting to them in data <laughs> so yeah. and showing and having really good solid evidence base that we can pre- present to them that then is translating into additional funding for these areas that we've identified so i i'm hoping um, in the next couple of years, we'll actually see our aeromedical retrievals to mental health decrease because I do think that the message is getting out there and we've got um, 
some good funding coming in to provide those services. So, yeah. At the moment, we're seeing pretty much doubling, but mm. we're obviously mm. you know, the goal is. I mean, that could so that doubling that. So we're also you mentioned it sort of before that we're providing additional services. So. The demand is certainly there, but we're also yeah. expanding our fleet of planes. So we've got more planes in the air as well, but that doesn't negate the fact the demand's still there. So yeah. maybe before those people um, just weren't being seen at all, yeah. aeromedically or primary healthcare, but regardless, the demand is certainly there and it's increasing for our aeromedical retrievals and primary healthcare. So we need to start um, implementing strategies to re reduce that um, yeah but maybe yeah, i mean you mentioned it before having an increase it may not be a bad thing because these patients are getting treatment and the support they need so yeah yeah mm. and, and what sort of, what's mm. the follow-up so with it with acute uh, mental health mm. disorders mm. or illness uh and the good question yeah. come in <laughs> we, we save you yep. save them you bring them bring them back you get them help yep what happens, what happens then? then? <laughs> I mean, uh, good is question. It, is it the magic pill, and they're going there better. Well, that's a question I've been asking for about two years. So we pick up a patient, we drop them off into an inner regional major city hospital. What happens You've then? Right, job. we've done our job, and then we don't often, or we don't see them until we then see them X days, months, years later, back in their community, and we're getting that dialogue from them. Randomly or intentionally? Oh, a bit of both. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're getting that information back off then, but that's not ideal. So what we're doing, we're working with partners in Adelaide. It's a good example where we are at the moment, working with the Royal Adelaide Hospital and getting some of that outcome data, not just in mental health, but in everything from mental health to renal disease as well. Um, the Royal Adelaide Hospital is a major receiver of our... Um, it's cardiovascular disease and renal disease emergencies. So getting that follow-on data, like how long did they spend in hospital? What was their discharge diagnosis? How did they get home? Yeah, well, that was, that was <laughs> Who paid expression. for that? Because we- Do you fly them home? Not, uh, not for everyone upon request, um, but it's certainly not a big number. Um, no, and, and I mean, if you're thinking of mental health space, so, <clears throat> A youth patient we pick up for, let's say, schizophrenia, drop them off at the Royal Adelaide Hospital and leave them there to get treated. How long are they spending there? <laughs> How long are they getting home? Yeah. If they're Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, it, being it, removed from country in their community. Yeah. Are their um, parents on the plane? All of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, all these questions need to be asked. But on the other side, what's the alternative? There are no other services there. There are no preventative services. So we need to address, we need more clinical support on the ground <laughs> to yeah. prevent and having these flying, flying. youth in this case, yeah, having this um, support that they need. Yeah. So you definitely um, think it's an opportunity that needs to, we need to probably get a better, better data and also better processes involved mm. for that follow-up so you can actually see well, how effective was that and was there a yeah, I'm speaking relapse? generally. I'm speaking Australia-wide. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, sometimes we will receive discharge summaries and stuff like that, but yeah. um, generally we don't always know. But 
it's simple stuff yeah what what happens to the patient once we drop them off length of stay um not so much of mental health but surgical interventions as well Mm. Um, yeah and then does that Mm. does it then go from obviously the the air rescue and on the air um uh, getting them out of there to, to to seek help but then from there, does then the tele-service then pick up and touch base with them or does it then go to a different, um, yeah. one of the different services um, you guys provide? Yeah, it depends. It's, I mean, so in this aeromedical study, we found that the majority of the pickups didn't have any services, whether it was RFDS or not. Mm. So so for that continuity of care, I yeah what happens more generally to those patients once we treat the acute i don't know um but where there are primary health care support yeah of course we follow them up in our primary health care clinics mm. telehealth clinics um social workers and and the like but yeah. what do you see the future of i mean do you see other modes do you see other Delivery. I mean, do you see drones just going out there and, and just doing all this <laughs> One stuff? of our directs a director wants a drone, yeah, um, which just... is possible. Um, I don't know. I think telehealth will get a lot. I mean, our telehealth platform is very good, but I think it will get a lot better, um, more interactive. And um, I don't know what that would look like. I'm not IT, no. but I see that increasing. Um, and probably maybe getting away from less brick and mortar type services. Yeah, yeah. Where I see it. <clears throat> what are the biggest challenges as it relates to RFDS and and what what you guys are doing? Is it is it resources, <clears throat> number of planes, being able to? I mean, resource is always so. Workforce is a big issue more generally in rural and remote Australia. So, yeah. how do we get <clears throat> your young, just in this case, uh, doctor, to start practicing in the bush to sort of question that's been floating around for a while not just practicing but staying as well for the long term and yeah that longevity though yeah and um i mean they might have a young family uh, a partner um there's got to be job and opportunities for those them as well it's a holistic big picture approach so i think we need to address the workforce shortages we're having in rural remote australia don't know how though yeah well i was talking to ernest hunter uh you know, in another mm. conversation, podcast, and, and he was obviously, he was you know, amazing, inspiring guy, and very fascinating, but he was also talking about that for the people that are working in rural and remote Australia, we need to ensure that it's not just because they have to go there, yeah. but because they yeah. want to and that yeah. they're driven and they're aligned yeah. with what the outcome is to go and help people in those communities yeah like i come from a rural rural and remote community so i've got that drive to want to then serve my community and so i think recruiting more um indigenous clinicians uh, in recruiting more rural and remote maybe even having a real an actual personal bias here but uh, rural and remote medical school or something, something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, rather than these sort of outreach units. Um, yeah, recruiting from rural and remote backgrounds, I think would go a long way. Yeah, and you touched on it, rather than sending your intern on a placement that they have to do. <laughs> yeah, where well, they're just waiting till the time ends. And to pass, yeah, um, yeah. And that community buy-in as well, because you, you get used to one clinician and then that clinician's gone and then 
it's, yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. So that trust, especially in the mental health clinician, mm. very important. Yeah. So, uh, so what's the future hold for you, and what your role <laughs> is? I mean, is are you are you happy where you are? Obviously, you said you love working for the RFDS, but do you uh, do you see yourself uh, long term getting more into you know following up the application of all this stuff? I mean, tell me what what what, what drives you, and where do you think you see yourself going? So I want to implement new new services. So an example is um, we've, we've been doing a lot of uh, uh, gastroenterology retrievals from Central Australia. I want to identify why is that the case. And then I want to start having implementing tailored services run out of the Royal Adelaide Hospital to help these patients back in their community. So those are the sorts of things I want to start thinking about a bit more. I also want to start communicating more on our primary healthcare space. Um, what's the type of patients where, uh, where and what we're seeing <laughs> as well. Um, and collecting that hospital outcome data, yeah, and communicating that more widely, yeah. And the economic costs as well and um, personal costs of retrieving someone from their community into an inner regional major city. Yep. Yeah, and then make that argument for provide providing more services in their community. So, no, but um, yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm going to be busy for the next ten odd years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, there's a lot. I, I mean, what a, what a great thing to work for such yeah. an incredible organisation that's doing uh, that's doing a lot of really good stuff and providing great service to people in rural and remote. Uh, areas and not not just with mental health but mm. with uh, medical needs um, yep. I mean it's just it's just absolutely crucial that people living in rural and remote areas are not um, yeah not uh, are not uh, do have access mm. to yep. to great care and yep. whilst it's not ideal it's still uh, <laughs> I mean it's still better than nothing isn't it I mean oh that's right yeah and, yeah um, yeah so I think it's really uh, inspiring with the work that's going on with this organisation. Do you have uh, do you have any uh, advice or any uh, sort of words you want to tell everybody mm. as we approach the end of the, the conversation? Um, <clears throat> that's a hard question, Seth. <laughs> that's okay. Keep doing the good work that we're all doing. I mean, if we're all communicating similar trends and issues and people are taking notice in major cities um inner city clinicians that have only worked in big cities are starting to get the message are even starting to get the vastness of australia and how big each phn for example is and how many people and mm. the coverage so i think having us communicate that in um i guess traditional forms is doing well and um, yeah, keeping up the good work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and who, who's been a source of inspiration for you? Uh, well, our outgoing um, executive director, Professor Martin Laverty, um, certainly uh, a mentor of mine. Um, he's just been made executive director of the Australian Medical Association. And without him, a lot of this work wouldn't have been possible. He was just such an advocate in Canberra to politicians and was widely, still is widely respected in Canberra and Australia more generally. So 
I think um, a lot of our funding and even our research unit in Canberra wouldn't have been possible without him and the expansion of our services as well. Um, yeah. uh, in part goes down to uh, Martin, so mm -hmm. yeah, and the growth we've experienced. Yep. Mm. Uh, one more question. Uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Don't get yourself into that position. <laughs> I've never done karaoke. Maybe that's something I should try in Adelaide. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a few bars or something? You, uh, uh, is there any song in particular? I'll put you on oh, the spot. Probably a golden oldie. Anything. Anything from the... I like a good U2 song or something oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. It's not a golden oldie, but... Um, good on you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be very good that. at karaoke U2 song. We'll give it a go, Sam. I'm open to anything once. Introduce a family <laughs> to a karaoke machine for Christmas. Yeah, yeah my, my daughter Elsie would love that. Get the kids yeah. on it and away you go. I might leave that at the grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, man, thanks very much for coming in. I appreciate, uh, Fergus, your time and, and, um, and sharing the insights and the great work that RFDS are doing. Uh, keep up the great work and yeah, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Sam. Easy. Thank you. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au. And be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.